This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello, my name is Elliot, and you are listening to the North American Waterfowler Podcast. I appreciate you listening again today. Several weeks ago, I had a couple episodes with Bobby Hayes, who is the owner of Ducklander Calls, and got a lot of really, really good feedback um, from those episodes, and Bobby and I have been talking quite a bit off air, so we just decided, let's just go ahead and do another podcast. I had so much fun with the last two. So I've got him back here with me. It's Bobby Hayes from Ducklander Calls. What's going on, Bobby? Uh, getting ready for show season, mostly. Uh, big show in Kansas City's Rogers. So getting ready for that. Just filled the shelves with inventory for the first time this year. So good to have that out of the way. That's always uh, a big project. Uh, first, first year's inventory, because it's kind of the bulk of the year. So, and then ever since Rona happened, um, call making is less month to month and it's more, say, quarter to quarter. But the good news is, is our, uh, our, a lot of people don't know this, but acrylic rod that you make calls from only comes from one place. Uh, it is made in Iowa and there's only one company that makes it. Everything else. Really? Yep. Everything else is a poor substitute for it. So, so they're just that, they're just that much better than everyone else. They have a particular formula, and it's the only thing that is true acrylic. Um, acrylic is kind of a uh, a liberally used term. So anytime you see those swirly colors or any of that, that's not acrylic. Yeah, they just call it acrylic. A lot of times that's Chinese acrylic, but 
Can real, you flush that out a little bit more? Go into the, go into the weeds with that for a second. Okay, that, so real acrylic rod, which is machine grade plastic. It's P. Now, when you say rod, when you say rod, can you explain that? Even I'm yeah. So here. it's it's a rod. So it comes in a four foot stick. That's as long as you can get acrylic, and it, okay. it you try to have the diameter as close to finished product size as you can. So you can get three quarter inch, one inch, inch and an eighth, inch and a quarter, inch and a half. So if your call is a little under inch and a half, then you inch and a half rod. But like on an insert, most inserts are inch and an eighth diameter. Um, it's expensive, so you try to get the closest diameter you can. And it's a lot quicker to make because you're not just reeling off material. But acrylic rod is PMMA based, and I cannot remember what the acronym stands for. Polymethyl something. Um, but the USA is the only people that make that particular product. Everything that comes from China is usually urethane-based rod, and it's not the same material. What is the? Is it a poor quality? Um, it's not quite as hard, so it's a little softer. Uh, it doesn't hold tolerance quite as well on the machining. So, the the value in the American acrylic is it's heat resistant, so you can machine it. Uh, it doesn't get it handles the heat when you're cutting. Um, it does not shrink very much at all. It's got a little bit, but not much. And it's stiff enough. Like a big problem with the urethanes from China is the, the cork tab where you, where your wedge gets held, that cork tab will flex a little bit. So it's not okay. quite holding yeah, it down like it should. But so nope. So every duck call company, uh, it all comes out of Iowa if they're using American rod. So you were talking about if you see swirl colors, you know that's the acrylic from Yeah, because there's only a certain amount of colors that the factory makes, so anything besides that is not acrylic. And and what is the sound difference between a Chinese-based acrylic and... Uh, the American? urethane is softer, so it's a little deader sounding. It would go a little more towards wood than the acrylic. Acrylic's a little sharper. So that varies okay. on what a person thinks sounds more real. Like some guys think wood sounds more real. Some guys think acrylic sounds more real. Like for me, I think acrylic is more realistic sounding than I do wood. Okay. But so it just kind of depends on what your ears hear as what you perceive as more real sounding. Yeah. So yeah. the acrylic from China is not horrible product. It's just a little lower quality. It's just lower quality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How, how no, no, it's not like when you're buying it. Um, the colors for one, but uh, if you touch enough of it, um, you can just feel it. So uh, urethane doesn't handle heat as well. So one of the values in American made acrylic is if you were going to polish the call, it actually polishes to optical clarity. So it polishes to glass quality. None uh -huh. of the Asian acrylics or the urethane base will polish that well. They're close, but not quite because they can't handle the heat. Gotcha. Yeah. So, that's yeah. A, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So, no. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. Your your duck calls are legit 100% legit made in the USA. Now, with your line of calls, what all – do you make any wood? I think you do. Don't yeah, you? I do Coca-Cola and Hedge. Those are my two. Right. Yeah. And now if so I do, do acrylic and then those two woods. Yeah, now if I do a wood that is not those, they have a coca bowl or a hedge tumbler. Because those are okay. there's blackwood as well, but those are about the only three that are really suitable for toneboard woods. 
so those those woods have a natural you know how everybody burns hedge in their their outdoor fireplaces because it gets hot or their mm-hmm. uh it, those woods get so hot because they're high in oil the oil mm-hmm. is what gets hot like oak doesn't have a lot of oil so oak burns slow uh doesn't make a lot of spark because the oil is because oak is not very oily but hedge is super oily yeah just like if uh you know when you're cutting hedge you get the yellow all over you your chainsaw turns yellow not the not the the wood chips but the actual oil gets on everything mm-hmm. yeah hmm. so that's why hedge posts don't rot because it's full of oil okay so they're naturally okay. waterproof or more waterproof than non-oily wood ah and that yeah. stops them from swelling and, yes and yeah right. so that's also why i don't clear coat calls so if you have a if you have a wood call and it doesn't have a clear coat on it, you can re-oil it anytime you want because it'll eventually dry out. Uh, that's usually when you mm-hmm. got an old call and it cracks; it lost its oil. Yeah. What is the lifespan of a typical of a wooden call? Is that going to run out quicker than oh. uh, an acrylic? Yeah. So so people don't like this, but if you if you hunt every day, let's say you're guiding and you hunt every day. Yeah, you'll go through a wood call season, if not two. Mm-hmm. So, like, I have a lot of guys that guide that, that like wood calls. They'll buy two or three every season, and then they just don't like them. And you can just start hearing the difference? Yeah, so once you get that wood wet enough, so you got that tone board, and the ramp comes down on the front, and then the cork sits back here. If you get it wet enough, that tone board, because the tone channel would be in between my fingers, it'll want to twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after you get it wet and it dries enough times. Yeah, it won't be the same. Now, sometimes so you guys have of, had calls in their hands all the time. They can just hear it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like if you've got a 20-year-old wood call, it's not the same as when it was built. It's it's not even close. Yeah, it's just you're used to it, so it sounds correct to you is all that happens. Because it slowly changes over time. And yes. Then... Yeah, but if you if you run a call really well and you can pick up minute differences, then, yeah, you know. I mean, that's why I don't like using them because I – Mm-hmm. I am not a I'm not a maintenancer of equipment. I don't I don't do all that during hunting season. So like mm-hmm. I I like synthetic shotguns. I'm not gonna clean one oil one, I'm not gonna do anything to it. So it goes truck to <laughs> truck truck to blind and back and forth. That's all I'm doing. Same thing with a duck hole. Yeah. Well, I saw a video I think last year of you organizing your trailer and you certainly look detailed and organized. Oh no, I like with it your trailer stuff. I like it organized. Yeah, I don't like to have to climb over stuff or fight for stuff, but I'm not cleaning anything or bringing stuff yeah. in to dry out. I it drives me insane. But I hunt about every yeah. day, so it's just Right. Yeah, I'd rather That's the go thing about for... waterfowl hunting is just the, all the details and all, there's just so much stuff to deal with. Yes, but I cannot. I do not like disorganization. It's like if anybody's ever been in my shop, my shop is always clean. I pick up as soon as I'm done with something. I pick up. It drives me insane. But the decoy trailer is the same way. Yeah, everything See, is. That's my bit. That's my issue. Like right now, I've got a shed out back. It's, it's about a, you can fit our boat and one other car in it if you wanted to. That's about the size of it. the The surface drive doesn't quite fit in it, so it's about. I think the whole thing's like 17 foot. Anyway, and it, I, I want to be a guy like you, that everything is detailed. I just can't pull it off. Once season starts, it's great. But then I get home from a long hunt. I cannot be disciplined to be like, okay, I'm going to take this time to reorganize this right now. I just start 
chucking stuff in there. I just well, can't break the habit. So that well, so what I used to be very, very messy. What got me in the habit was at my other house, I did the, all of this out of my garage. So I had 400 square feet. So you couldn't leave a mess. Uh-huh. It just was impossible right. or you couldn't walk, couldn't do anything. So then I had to put everything back. So that was a great habit forming scenario. If the trailers are set up right, it's faster to put it away when you pick up than it is to do it at home. Mm-hmm. So it actually takes less time to put everything back in the trailer where it goes every day. Right. Yeah. Right. Now I'll give you this. A boat is hard to keep tidy. Boats are just messy. Yeah. It yeah. takes a lot of work to keep a boat nice. A lot. Well, I've got a every year. I'm like, okay, this is the year. This in fact, it's a mess right now. It's on <laughs> right. my to do list to uh, to do the big cleaning. I just I, I've got to do better. I want to be one of those guys that you walk around. Damn, this is organized. But yeah, no, I am. I am. I am an organized. I'm way probably overboard on it, but. I probably I need to take some pictures or something or run a video and just give it to you. Like, hey, can you give me some tips on that? One <laughs> thing I struggle with is even when I'm organizing it is how to organize it right. properly to begin with. It's like, oh, this should go here and get these little boxes for this. I struggle even with that part of it. Yeah, um, I try to do everything. Uh, my mindset's always production because that's what I do for a living. So everything right. I think is production wise. Yeah. Um, I try to organize hunting equipment enough that if I told somebody that didn't know where anything was to go into my shed or my trailer and get something, they could find it. Now, I don't know why I do that because I don't really hunt with anybody that doesn't already know all of it. So, yeah. yeah. But my problem is if I don't do it that way, I'll forget it. Yeah. Yeah. So I will just a hundred percent forget something and because I'm the guy that I have to have everything ready to go the night before. Oh yes. Me I cannot. I'm, I'm with you on that. I can't do it. So if everything is in its place, I can glance at it and I know everything's good and I don't have to spend a lot of time on it. Yeah. I'm totally that way before that. In fact, I lay my clothes out in the order that I want to put them on when I wake up in the morning. I do this like, church, same. Church, church, church. Yep. I do the same exact thing. I can't handle it. If I can't find some in the morning, it's a catastrophe. Right. And I'll yeah, get up two. I, I, I get, get up, up two hours before I hunt. I have plenty of time to do it. I just hate it. See, I, I get up. I'm out. By the time that I get up in the morning before I hunt, I'll be out in 20 minutes. Right. So it's just All I got to do is literally throw on those clothes, make the coffee, which is, which during the, during my work time, I don't pre-make coffee before the morning, but on a hunt, it's always pre-made. Everything's perfect and just go and like 20 minutes i'm out i get up around four ish every day anyway so like i don't i don't change much during season you get up at four every day yeah just about between four and five like i don't set an alarm i just get up between four and five about every day what time do you go to bed nine or ten. Oh man what do you do at four um or five when you wake up I, you just kind of get yourself together and relax I, I you start working so i i have coffee i i read I read Twitter, I read Fox News, uh-huh. and I read um, ABC. And then I try What's to ABC? ABC News. I don't like CNN. CNN's probably the worst. Would you say ABC? Yeah, ABC. ABC. Oh, yeah. Okay. I said V. I got so you. So I don't, I don't trust any of them. But I try to sum the articles and find the middle and everything. Figure out yeah, maybe that's yeah. kind of close to news, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I do that for about a half hour, and then I start working. 
I used to do that with news, but I would find two people on opposite sides and just pay attention to those two. So um, it used to be for me like Bill O'Reilly and John Stewart were for a long time, yeah. which I know John, I would just listen to those two people only. Yep. Cause I just can't stand. I, I just, I can't stand corporate media and I just can't stand all that crap. But I'm like, all right, these two guys, you know, I listen to both of them. I might be able to kind of get a, I, I try to, to do the same thing. I think it, I think it's mostly propaganda for sure. Yeah. To be honest, I pay attention. One, uh, I think the presidential vote is important. I should pay more attention mm-hmm. to local politics, but I don't, cause it probably affects a person more than, but, um, this war in Russia right now is a thing. It's bad. Uh, so I've been kind of paying attention to what they're doing with that, but I pay attention to more. War? The civil war, well, just the... Russia Ukraine deal right now, right? Uh, I don't, this... I didn't realize I was actually, I just saw something come across this morning about this that the about the civil war in Russia, and yeah. Their the opposition has taken over a couple cities, and I had completely out of tune with that, yeah. For like a week, you, I don't know, you really can't get a lot of reporting on it, so I don't think we're seeing anything accurate on it, so I don't even know how you assess that. I've been mostly watching if, uh if uh, Grandpa Joe is was going to try to push him into NATO, if he pushed him into NATO, then we were going to basically be at war with Russia. Super mm-hmm. stupid idea. Uh, yeah, beyond, I watch it a lot too. I just kind of want to know what's going on with the economy in general. So I can never find stuff that it's also confusing to me that I can never figure out what to believe on details stuff like that. I mean, when it comes to social culture, I've definitely have. My because there's a worldview shift right now, a yeah. Huge, a massive, so that's easy for me to take sides on. <clears throat> but when it comes down to like details of economy, I, I, I'm like, how am I supposed to know? I, I don't know, it, it's too complex for me to feel like I can ever. No, no, I'm the same way. I, I, a lot of it, I don't think I can really have an opinion on because I don't understand it enough, or, right. or I'm not given enough information to actually make an opinion, right? But the other thing I yes. pay attention to a lot right now. Um, this this tranny thing, I hate it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm into that. So we're you're a teacher, right? Yep, twenty three years. So <laughs> we pay a lot of attention to our school. Mm-hmm. Um, then I will throw a fit on the first thing that creeps in there. Nothing. We're yeah. you know we're small town USA as can be, but I will yeah. throw a fit. Has so, it has that happened yet? Not yet. Guys? No, not yet. We're pretty conservative in the middle part of the country. We're we're just far enough away from Kansas City that that's not going on yet. Yeah, yeah. But we've, think, we've definitely had some school board issues. Um, in fact, I've they've gotten interesting enough that I will watch our school board issues. I don't. I have not gone to one, and I don't know when that point would be because being an employee and yeah, uh, you're in a. There would definitely be a point in time where I would speak up, but there has definitely been. Some issues around library and books of library. Yeah, you're in mostly that's been our issue. You're in a tough position. If you say the wrong thing, that's bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I guess I don't mind talking about this stuff a a little bit. You don't have to. I said you're in a bad position. No, I don't. I don't mind. My my whole thing on like that I don't get on books in the library is that the opposing side just wants to the opposing side is to me. I'm conservative. So. Um, is that, oh, you just want to censor books. You just want to censor books. And it's such, it, it shuts down the argument in such a, a ridiculous way. And when I try to talk to those people, I want to say, okay, would we both agree 
that penthouse magazines shouldn't be in a middle school library. Can we agree on that? And because we both should be able to say that hardcore porn pornography shouldn't be in a middle. So we both we all believe in censorship to a to a point. We all do. So we're just talking about where is the line? It's not censorship to not allow middle school kids to see pornographic material. That's just what is it is and isn't appropriate in a public school for a child. Well, and, and it's not like these kids are taking a hardcore philosophy class at a college. It's not right. really the curriculum. The books would mostly be in that side of the curriculum that they're fighting over. So right. grade school, grammar school, whatever you call it, even high school, really, it's just core it's just core learning. So I don't know what right. it has to do with anything in those. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, what and I will say in, in being in schools for 23 years and I've been in elementary schools, I have never seen any inappropriate content. Right. I've never been asked to teach anything that I had an issue with at all. And I've never seen it. I've right. never seen teachers trying to. Now, that's the elementary school. But sometimes if you watch the national news, you get the idea that in all even down into elementary schools here, you know, they're teaching this and, and myself personally, not, I've just never, ever seen that. I've never been I had a problem with what I've heard a teacher teaching or what they've asked me to teach in, in any way at this, to this point in time. Well, I, you know, it sucks because everything that happens out on the coast is weird and then it filters its way into us. That seems right. to be right. And you can you can read when you read these articles about these nuts they 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 derogatory term for us is it's very middle american right yeah which basically they're saying it's it's uh cavemanish i think is basically the metaphor they're trying to say right we're just behind the times mm -hmm. yeah so i've yeah. never seen it but i think it goes on i think we're in a bubble i like our bubble i want that our bubble be true yeah i want our bubble to remain intact i could care less Right, right, and I certainly around the area I live, it's that's starting to erode. Um, Where are for you? For sure, it has not seeped in. Um, Leavenworth. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't live. I don't live in it. That's that's where I teach. I don't live Great in. Teach. I live right. out in the country, but like say, the area is certainly is going more left. Yeah. Yeah. The closer you get to Kansas City, the more yeah, Kansas City's turned very liberal. <clears throat> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I heard. So within the last few months, I started hearing people talk about, you know, the number one cause of deaths of kids under 18 is gun violence. Yes. Um, I would argue that. And that's how when I heard that, I'm like, that cannot be. I just that didn't make sense to me. It's like, how is that true? How is that true? And but then I started hearing people say, well, if you take out there's five cities, if you take out those five major cities, then our gun violence, they were giving stats. I'm not going to try to say them. But those stats are that way because of these five particular cities. And outside of those five cities, that's just absolutely. So it's kind of a false. It, it gives you a false idea um, when, when they quote those stats, something like that. Not, not to get into this, but I would say the number one killer of children is abortion. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Amen to that. I mean, so I don't, I don't see the argument here, right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, I we bet could go, that, we could go. We yeah, could go down in the weeds well, with this stuff because I might yeah, as well now trying know, to ask you different questions. That would questions. be my guess. Is that's the number one killer of children. 
in the country. I'm, right, I'm going to we're not going to say in this long, but I yeah. ask one question just out of curiosity because, um, you know, I've been getting more into that topic and following certain people on social media. Would you consider yourself an abolitionist with abortion? Or some like zero abortion, no matter what, I'm gonna, after pill. Or- I'm going to tell you what my problem with it is. St- and it's statistics. Statistically, there's not a lot of geniuses in the world. Statistically, high IQ, let's say over 140. Mm-hmm. And over 140 changes the world, usually for the better. Mm-hmm. Right? Einstein, whatever, I think he was a 160. But those guys, Elon Musk right now, I don't know what that guy's IQ right. is, but it's big, right? Those guys, yeah. so the worst thing that you could do is kill off your geniuses. We right. need more of them. We don't need less people. We need more smart people. So every time they do it, like how many geniuses have they killed? That's my problem with it. I want them. Right. I want as many of those guys <laughs> in the U.S. as we can get. I don't care what color they are. I want all of them. Yeah. 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 So... Uh, that's that's my problem with the whole deal. I'm like, you are just killing off geniuses. That's what you're doing. That's an interesting take on it. Interesting slant. I, I that makes sense. Well, we better jump back into waterfowl yeah. before everyone just turns off. But um, <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind going to the side a little bit if it's interesting. So, um, so what has your? Do you do waterfowl other than duck calls? Do you do preparation for the season? during summer during off season so i am always acquiring permission uh that is always so that's my number one thing that makes my season good or bad is how much permission i can acquire so since i hunt on private ground and like i would personally say the the competition for permission ground is way higher than the competition at public ground in our state Mm -hmm. i i yeah so i'm always acquiring permission um, and then on the off season, like I have to plan what industry guys will come in and hunt with me. I don't know another term for them. Uh, friends of mine in the yeah. business, right? That's yeah, yeah. Part of part of being in the waterfowl business is the networking. Um, for sure. And then for I have sure. to plan what trips we're going to go film. I got to plan who is going to film it, what we're going to film about. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a task because the guys that are really good at filming something get booked up fast. Um, some guys are better at telling this kind of story. Some guys are better at telling this kind of story. And then you got to do the same thing with photographers. Like I got a couple buddies that are really good at portrait work. I've got a couple other buddies that are better at, uh, just catching action. So I got to try to plan who's coming out and who's got time and what state we're going to do it in and all that good stuff. So that's most of my off season, but I don't really like most of my equipment, everything's ready to go. Yeah. So I don't do much with that. So when you're trying to acquire fields and, and private or private permission, what are you what are you basing that on? Is it where you saw birds last year, or yes. how, what is your so as I'm for that? during the season, I pin everything that has birds, uh-huh. um, and then I will try to meet whoever has those birds in a casual setting before I go up and cold call on on the hunt. Yeah, and I try not to ask them during the season. I'd rather ask them. Now, how how will you? How how can you make that happen? A, a casual meeting. Um, uh, I help farmers out, so sometimes this guy is helping this guy, and then I'll, you know, I'm helping this guy, so then I meet him, or we got kids in mm-hmm. softball, or yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so like, your ears are open all the time. All the time. Yes. 
You just look, and it's in, I gotcha. Yeah, like I picked up, uh, I don't know, I picked up four or five ponds last week. That was from a neighbor. I got somebody that's helping my neighbor plant beans. So mm-hmm. I went out and met that guy. Uh, but that was really nice. Actually, my neighbor that farms asked for me. So that was pretty handy. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. Yeah, right. It's great when you get somebody that vouches that have known each other for thirty or forty years, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then one of my uh, one of my kids' friends on our softball deal. We had our last softball game, so I went over to their house. This guy ended up being a super cool guy. They just moved here three years ago, and uh, he does not waterfowl hunt, but he does leather work. So he asked if he could come use my laser. I'm like, yeah, have at it. And then. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then he mentioned to me, he's like, I got three or four pounds on my place. You're welcome to shoot them. There's always ducks on them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. So that's yeah. ne- that's networking, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm always doing that. Yeah. But if you guys haven't listened to Bobby's podcast uh, yet, it's Ducklander Calls. And the last episode you put out was 10 tips. And I, I thought that was really interesting. And the networking one is I found really interesting. It's something I've talked about before on podcasts. And, and I think that that is an underrated piece of waterfowling success is intentionally building networks. Do you have, I've got a few of these guys that I really like guys that I only hunt with maybe once a year, but during the season we're trading information almost sometimes daily. Yes. Absolutely, and, I have. I have. But we that. don't hunt very much because they've kind of have their their group. I can have mine. I genuinely like these people, but it's just we have a mutually beneficial relationship when it comes to information. Yeah, we trade. <laughs> we we trade how good we did on hunts about every day. So you're like, hey, did the geese right. fly at nine? Our geese flew at eight, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So we're always talking about that kind of stuff. Uh, or like, hey, all my mallards are gone. Do you still have ducks? And mm-hmm. this is not a deal where anybody is like coming to that area to hunt or going to that area to hunt. If somebody says, yeah, I got that. It's not that right. Um, and it's getting a feel for what is taking place. Yeah. Just what, how the ducks are moving, yeah. how they're behaving. <laughs> um, you may get uh, all the ducks drive feeds after five o'clock. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, and then those same guys, like I can call and say, Hey, I have sucked for a week. Do you have something? I got so-and-so coming into town. And I can, right. yeah, they'll usually throw a hunt if I need it or whatever. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no. So having a network uh, is, is having a network is just as important if you're on public ground. So now I've always looked yeah. at public a little different. I've never looked at it as mine. So I've always looked at mm-hmm. it like if I took a guy out there, well, I don't know why he wouldn't be back there hunting. It's public ground. Mm. Yeah. That to me is. I'm, I, see, I, I, to me, I'm my rule for that that I follow is if you don't know about it and I'm introducing it, introducing you to this specific spot, then if you're going to go back, then you need to call me and have a conversation and vice versa. If I, if I go some to public and like, man, I did not know about this spot. I've never been here. Yeah. That's respectful. Then I'm going to have a talk with them and say, Hey, you took me to that. What would you be okay with me doing that? I've always felt like that's the proper respect on public. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair enough. Um, I've always done more like, Hey, I took him. Hey, I'll be in here for the next three days, man. After that, have at it. Yeah. Right. Cause I won't be back for a week. Cause most of those spots don't, they don't produce week after week after week on public. They're there and then they're going to go somewhere else. 
Yeah. Yeah. But so, I guess it makes a difference on what the spots are because on each comp- public co- public complex, there are marshes that are just the main yep. marshes. But so, and those are the type of places it's like, I don't care, but there are places that I have that are very less hunted that people right. just don't realize they they don't look sexy when you see them. So people don't realize how good they are. Yeah. Those are the places that honestly, I won't even take casual people to. Yeah, that's true. Um, now I, I keep stuff. I always have stuff in my back pocket, right? That. Yeah. Uh, but but now I take, I've got one spot, Bobby, that I, I'll give you a little more information about it off air. Cause I don't want to describe it too much, but I am 99% sure the last year it had water. I'm the only person that hunted it. Um, I, I only hunted it six times, but normally if people are going in place, you will see some signs. There's always people. trash. And I never saw trash. I yeah. never saw shells. I never saw footprints. I blazed the trail in there. And well, it's, it's like, I'm pretty positive. I'm going to hunt it. I would that place. You're not going to that place with me unless I know you very, very well. Yeah. Now it's possible that the guy like you or I hunted it. Because I can go in and hunt a right. place and nobody will know I was there. So true. Yeah, but that's it is possible. That's a skill set to hunt public ground. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no, I've always looked at it more like if I if I know the guy and I know he's not bringing ten people back there, he's just gonna go hunt, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of handy because you can say, "Hey, I wasn't there for two weeks. You've been back in that hole, and yeah, the ducks are still using <laughs> yeah. it now. I know I can go hunt it, right? Yeah. So." There's, yeah. there's trade-offs to both ways on that, right? I yeah. have done that exact thing where I've got a place where I'm not hunting it this week, and I really don't want to tell people about it, but I need some more intel on it. Mm-hmm. So I've got a couple guys like, hey, how about you ought to go check this out this week and see how that's doing and go go hunt that just, just strictly for the information yeah. of what's going on. Yep. But now some net a network is good. Network's good with everything. Business network is good for hunting. Everybody needs a network. So I've had people ask me this, and I don't even know the answer to it. So when you're trying to develop a network for information, it with me it's public, with you it's not. How do you build it? And I'm not even quite sure how to answer that question. I would say um Oh, there's a saying, and I'm drawing a blank on it right now. Um, you're you're going for somebody of the same like-mindedness, right? Um, oh, there's a, I can't remember the sayings like uh, skill complements skill. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's it's just from time. Like if if you are hunting a public place and you are going in holes that are hard to find, you're eventually going to run into another guy that's doing the same thing. Right. Now, I've always been upfront about it. Like, as soon as I know who it is, I'll tell, like, hey, I know you're back there. I know I go mm-hmm. back there. Uh, let's right. work together on it. What's your number? That way we're not on each other at the same Absolutely. time. Absolutely. I've always done that. I've done that with, yeah. Like, matter of fact, my buddy, Micah over here, uh, first year I met him, I'm like, hey, I hunt in the area. You hunt in the area. Let's work together on it. Not fight. Yeah. Now, he'd win the fight because yeah. his budget's much, much bigger than I am because we're guiding, he's guiding, right? <laughs> like, I don't have a budget. Yeah. I, don't pay, I don't pay for any of it. But yeah, I'm always just up front with it. Yeah, let's not fight. I'll trade information with you. Yeah, it'll be better for everybody. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. One of the best compliments I ever received was from a public land manager who's now a personal friend of mine at the time. It was kind of the relationship was growing, and he was talking about his property and everything, and, and he's like, yeah, there's always going to be a few guys like you that are going to find all the places. And I was like, oh, man, that just 
made me so happy that he said that. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah, I get out there and find them. I put feet on the ground and find wherever they're in. The casual guys aren't going to what made me think of this. I was thinking about casual hunters um, because casual hunters are not just aren't going to put in that kind of effort. But uh, I think that the thing about a network is if you're a casual hunter, you're not probably thinking about it as often as people that are just addicted to it. If you are completely addicted to it and it, it controls your time, your mental space, then the network naturally just develops. You don't even have to try because you're thinking about it all the time. You're talking about it. All the time. You're stranded with your people that are as avid as you. And it just, it's a, it's, it just develops. It just builds. Yeah. There's, it just builds. Um, I talked to all kinds of guys. I've never hunted with them in my life. I've just known them for a long time and I kind of know what areas they hunt in. And they know I'm not right. coming out to hunt the spots, but we talk all the time about what's going on. Yeah. 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 So it just, it's just something that happens if you hunt enough. Yeah. I was, I don't, I don't think I told you this in, in the last podcast, but this concerned me about myself. Um, I was having a week at work where I was just kind of bummed out and I don't remember what time of the year it was. I think it was kind of after the the season had closed and all of a sudden I I started thinking about some properties up in Nebraska that I've been kind of, I'm trying to expand my footprint right. within driving range up in Nebraska. And so I've been working the last couple of years with really scouting and trying to find places and it's going, it's going pretty well. But <clears throat> the point was I was just kind of bummed out and I didn't know why and just kind of in a blue mood. And all of a sudden I started thinking about one of these scouting places and I had this whole plan to go out and scout this new place. And the last three days of the whole week, my demeanor just completely changed. I went from being just kind of depressed to all of a sudden a bounce in my step and happy. And that I'm like, am I that pathetic? <laughs> That I can't even like that one little thing of having the scouting trip to daydream about and think about like yeah. completely changed my demeanor for the whole week. That's pathetic. Everybody needs purpose. <laughs> I know, but uh, I don't know. Sometimes it's nice to be mentally a little more diversified. So, yeah. yeah, everybody needs purpose. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the one thing I would say, and I don't know, hopefully this doesn't make anybody mad doing my secret. If you are on public and you really want to figure out where to hunt, one, the guy that manages the refuge is the most underutilized resource that we right. have. I don't know why people... They don't. like to talk. They like to talk. I know. I don't know why people don't talk to him. It, it amazes me. They don't want to hide yeah. anything from him. But I want to know if the guy hunts waterfowl. If he hunts waterfowl, I want to see where that guy goes and comes in and out. Because mm. he's usually not in the main pool. Yeah. I found a lot of spots doing that. 
That that makes a lot of sense. The the one of the main places I hunt, the waterfowl, I was hunting it for about three years and then they changed managers. And there was a couple places out there that didn't even have listed on the map. Uh-huh. Then they were um my favorite places. They don't hold water all the time, but I really loved them. They were wonderful. And as soon as he came in there, he figured out where they were. And I started talking to guys that were hunting out there. It's like, yeah. So-and-so is saying this is the best spot on the whole pool. And pretty soon the maps start showing names of them. Right. And I'm like, you know, personally, I'm like, knock, knock it off. Quit talking. Yeah. Quit naming things on the map. Quit it. Yep. But, <laughs> but he just, they let those guys at Duck Hunt, they love the areas. They work hard on them. They want to talk about it. They do. they're proud of it. Yeah, they should. That's their job. But nobody talks yeah. to them. I don't know why. I don't know if they're scared they're going to say something wrong or they're going to get a ticket. They're not out there to get you. They just want you to go out and follow the rules and have a good hunt. Yeah, I mean, you can just ring them on the phone and get them. I'd say 70% of the time, you can just catch them on the phone pretty yeah. easily. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I used to have I used to have an old an old warden at one of the one of the places around here. Super cool guy. Uh, he would constantly update you on where birds were. Because he's, yeah, I checked guys over here. This is what they had. I checked these guys over here. I know they're not good at this, and they had this. Yeah, I use great. Well, th- those guys have access to the online data, the public guys. And now they won't always give that readily out. Um, but sometimes if, you, if you're friendly enough with them and ask them, they, and they're watching it, because they can go in and tell you exactly what the bird per hunt average is on each individual pool, how many guys have been hunting it. They That's have right. access to all of that stuff. Well, and the other thing that I've found over the years, so those those wardens don't particularly have a schedule. They're they're free mm-hmm. to do what they want. They don't report to yeah. anybody, but they've got their little book, and they've got to write in the book that they've been working. So the more guys that they personally know, the much easier their job gets as far as checking people. If they know you well enough, they write down, I checked so-and-so, and all he did was talk to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they want to know. They want to know people. They don't want to not know the guys out there hunting. So, yeah. Yeah, so it is a good idea to make friends with the refuge manager and the wardens. And they're genuinely, the ones in our state are genuinely great people. I've never had a bad experience with the game board, not one time in my life. Now, the federal guys, have you had any bad ones with the federal guys? I've they're never a had little any, different. They're a different, little different breed. I've never had a bad experience with them. I've had some annoying experiences with them. Uh, I found I found this pool one time on this federal marsh. I think everybody knows about it now, but what it was is it didn't have water in it for a number of years. And a beaver had rebuilt the dam that the feds knocked out. So it held water, had a pile of ducks in it. So I called because I couldn't tell if you could hunt it or not. And I called. They said, yeah, you can hunt it, but there's no water in it. And I said, okay, but you could hunt it. And they're like, yes. So I went back and I started hunting it. I was just by myself, maybe one other guy, right? It was never more than two or three of us in there. I had one that checked me every night for almost a month. <laughs> yeah. Why? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, so the walk into this thing sucked. It was terrible. It was about two miles, right? Mm. Uh, so I would take... I used to have those old foam decoys. They were just like a shell, and you could roll them up and put yeah. them in your pocket. So I'd put two or three. Yeah, they were just you used one of those. I don't those. think I've ever heard of those. Yeah, I, I've never were, heard of decoys used, you can roll up and put in your pocket. Yeah, they used to sell them in Max, but they were just a foam shell, and they had a little <laughs> head that went in them. 
and you would just uh-huh. use the old tangle-free rubbery line and the little lead uh-huh. print weight would be enough to hold them in place. So you yeah. could roll, you could roll a dozen of them and put them in your pocket. So I would take like two or three of those, and then it was really bushy, so you didn't need a blind. Had Did you high. blow them up? No, they no, they were just ones? a shell of foam. Yeah. Okay. That was it. They were just a shell. If it was really windy, it would plop them over because they didn't weigh anything. But they mm-hmm. just floated because of the foam. I don't even know who made them. Um, I haven't seen one in years. But anyway, so I would take maybe six or seven shells. That was it. And uh, when I would come back and get checked, you know, if I shot four ducks, I'd have my four empties. And I'd have, and she'd all, where's the rest of the shells? And I'm like, I only brought six. Like, if I can't do this in six, I don't care. I'm going back to the truck. Like, I'm not dragging 25 shells down there. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, everything was 10 yards. There was no, I mean, it was easy. But yeah, yeah. No, yeah, she yeah. did. She, she checked me a lot. We had one um, incident, this is probably 20 years ago, out in public, and it was a, probably an opener because it was pretty crowded. And this guy, about 150 yards from us, winged a shoveler. Well, he, he shot it he probably back. It was dead by the time it got to us. It was one of those birds that fly a long way and then die. Flew clear down the channel, died right in front of us. And the guy didn't come down to get it or anything. And we just took the thing and pitched it off behind us. Um uh, it was a dead shoveler. Like, oh, I'm not keeping that. It's not right. Mine. Maybe the guy comes back by later, whatever. And we had a federal guy come marching out through the mud and he was checking us. And some of these federal guys, their attitude becomes a little aggressive from like the first time they talk to you, their yes. attitude is a little bit aggressive. And so he started asking us, you know, kind of asking us accusatory questions. Like, have you guys shot any of this? Have you shot over your limit? And so my dad was like, well, I want to tell you what happened with the shoveler and, and so the guy went back and found it and <clears throat> you know, it might even have been teal season, illegal bird maybe. But anyway, this guy just would not get it out of our head that we weren't lying about this thing. And finally, my dad looked him in the eyes and my, my dad was like, look at me in the eyes. Cause the guy was kind of being shifty. And my dad forced him to look him in the eyes. I was probably towards the end of high school. So this had a great, great impact. I mean, my dad's like, look me in the eyes. I did not shoot that bird. And finally the guy kind of chilled out a little bit, but he was just aggressive. Like from the moment he opened his mouth, he was in that mode. Uh, typically, anytime I'm around feds, I go find them and make them check me before I go out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good that, idea. That seems to be the, a better, because they are more aggressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to be honest. I wonder why. I wonder why that is. Not all. No, not all of them are that way. No, I've never had but one. I've never had one. No do state guys are that way. No, I've never had one be mean. I've never had one. It, they're just annoying a lot of times because they're so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I will even say, look, man, like I make duck and goose calls for a living. This is who I am. I cannot violate one. Like, I just can't do it. Yeah. And, but no, I just go find them and tell them. Yeah. So that's a real, that's a good thought. Cause especially on the openers there in, in a lot of places, they're just there. Their presence is really felt. They deal with a lot of stupidity. <clears throat> like I will give right. them a break on that. Right. Um, yes. Yes. Like, did you read that article on the lead steel thing I sent you? I read portions of it. Yes. Okay. So that basically that 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 was a pretty good article, and basically that was a blind test on steel to lead. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't. The people shooting couldn't tell the difference. 
So I said, I grew up with poor steel, and now we have really good steel. Mm -hmm. It would blow my mind that anybody would take lead shells to a public refuge. <laughs> yeah, I think it probably happens by accident more than it does intentionally. I would assume, right, because I don't see a big advantage to doing it in general. Like I could see 20 years ago, I could see there would be an actual advantage to having it. But anymore, I don't know why you would do it to get the ticket. I don't think I don't know what it would help you. And, you know, you're getting checked. So, yeah. Yeah. So the they, risk reward is foolishness. Yeah, there's just no point. In it. But right. So they deal with a lot of foolishness. But I wish they would drastically simplify the rules. Uh, In what way? Can you give some examples? I think it is absolutely silly that if you're a new waterfowler and you go to, let's face it, they buy a lot of tags from Walmart, right? The guy at Walmart most of the time has no idea what tags you should have. Right. Now, you're supposed to know all the rules, and you're supposed to know everything. Ignorance is not an excuse. I get it. But I don't understand why in Kansas you just can't say, hey, I'm going waterfowl hunting, and it just pulls up one fee, and it gives you everything you need. Yeah, that makes I, sense. I don't know what the – because it's just all a tax, right? Basically, yeah. all those fees, which I get, everything needs paid for, but just make it one – one thing. And there's three different things. Three different things that you need. Yeah, you need the license. You need the hip. You need the state and the state stamp. There's yeah. four. Yeah, because you need the Fed stamp. But yes. Yeah. So at a minimum, I don't know why they just don't combine all three things for a guy just going to buy the tag. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because people at Walmart, a lot of time, you have to tell them what you need. Yeah, you got to tell them when if you're getting it from there. Yeah, so, like, this is a good instance. So, we were hunting uh, in Nebraska on the Missouri River, and I went through, and I looked everything up, and I bought everything. So, the last day we came out, I was in a boat, last in my boat. Last day we came out, the wardens were checking us, and everything was cool. We had, it was cold, so I had my possession limit by the third day. So, I had, everybody had ducks on straps in the bed of the truck, right, from day one, two, and three. They mm-hmm. weren't cleaned. And guy was cool, told him what was going on, didn't bat an eye in it. Like, yeah, you guys are following the rules. Showed him all the tags. He looked at the boat stuff. And he goes, hey, so there's this zebra muscle tag you should have bought. But uh, you're never going to find it on the website because it's under boating and not hunting. So I hate giving a ticket out for it because you can't find right. it. So he's like, if uh, yeah. if I give you the link, would you go through and buy it so I don't have to ticket you? And I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's 10 bucks or whatever it was. Oh, that was a cool guy. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. All of the states have something like that. Like, just yeah. put it in one thing. If I'm buying the boat permit, then why is this not together? That makes com- complete sense. Yeah. So I think before we move on to the next topic, I you talked about that these Fed guys have to deal with hunter behavior, and then the I just want to talk about it as much as I can. The tra- the amount of trash that gets left out oh, in the waterfowl marshes trash is, kills me. I don't understand trash. Mind-boggling. It is. It's mind-boggling. It's people intentionally using the marsh as their trash can. It's not like a few things blown away. You'll see cans and wrappers and boxes. I just don't understand. It's energy drinks. I know. It's energy drinks. Uh, I just don't. I I, I can't put in my mind what makes goes through someone's mind to intentionally just leave their trash like that. I know. I I pick it all up. I never leave it. Yeah. Um, but no. if you look at the state report site, site by site, it's like over oh, pick up your trash. But it, it's, I, I, I just can't, under, I just can't get there. Understand in my mind what someone's thinking. No, um, they do the same thing on private ground. You know, you'll go pick up two 
two sackfuls of shells and boxes. And I, I love, and that's a place where you're getting permission from someone that can just say, I know permission. Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't understand the trash deal. Trash is not that complicated. I love the boss deal where they took the shotgun shells away. That's fabulous. Yeah. The boxes? Yeah, they took. Sorry, they took the boxes away. Give yeah, the bag. right. So you that's just have a little pouch. Right? Yeah, and it they is. make you pay for the bag, so you're not going to leave the bag. And the bag is rustic and cool looking, which yeah. doesn't hurt either. So yeah, kudos to Lee on that. That's a great idea. Yeah. It is a great idea. It's a fantastic idea. So here we go. Forty-eight minutes, and we've yet to hit a single <laughs> point on the outline. <laughs> I'm, I'm good at. I'm good at talking. Oh lord. Well, it's just interesting. So just let it go the way it goes. So, um, so do you, do you you going, sorry, do you keep Walmart bags? Do you keep Walmart bags with you? No, Mm -mm. I always have a few Walmart bags with me to pick up trash with. I always have a water, uh, my backpack. I always have my backpack with me. That's waterproof and a pretty, cause I take way too much stuff in. Okay. So anything like that. And I don't, I don't take that much stuff in. I don't normally take drinks other than a water. Right. And which I have a big water thing. I don't, so I don't have uh, other than shells. I don't have typically a trash, like a big footprint. No, I just meant to pick up everybody else's crap. Oh, to pick up everyone else. Yeah. I always bring a couple of Walmart sacks for me to pick up everybody else's crap. Yeah. If I just get that, I'll just jam them in, jam them in, toss it into my bag. But honestly, I I try so hard to hunt, to not hunt those marshes. Cause there's, we talked about it off air. I think a little bit like there's certain, mar- or maybe, maybe we're talking in the podcast. Anyway, there's certain marshes that everyone goes to. And those oh, yeah. are also the trash marshes. 100%. If you go to the ones that are less traveled, the trash goes dramatically down. Uh, usually the trash moves to the parking lot. You can tell where they parked. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I even saw someone took a crap in the parking lot one time <laughs> with yeah. toilet paper and everything. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's another fifty yard walk, man. To get I, to the I know. Yeah. The bad part about that is somebody's dog's getting that. <laughs> yeah. Rolls in it. Yeah. Now, oh, one one of the weird things was well, in weird, but so I grew up mostly hunting on the Missouri side, right? And right. everybody cleans their birds in the parking lots there. Hmm. Like nobody nobody takes birds with them. Yeah. So there's there's always piles of ducks at ramps. Always. And now is that legal? Can you just yeah, you just have to have that? Yeah, yeah, you just have to have a wing on. Um, if it's not the, I didn't know if you could do it on public. Just dump them anywhere. I don't know. The warden's never say anything, so I'd assume. Yeah, uh, like I've been, I've talked to him many times while cleaning birds. But on Kansas, that is frowned upon. Mm -hmm. Now on the Missouri side, um, I, I don't know if it's a rule or if it's just suggested, but they don't like the deer to leave the property when you kill a deer. Hmm. They want the spine yeah. and the brain intact for disease. So they want you to field dress, take your meat out and leave the spine. Yeah. So like if you go, like for instance, if you go down to Truman Lake during deer season, every parking lot will have piles of carcasses in it. Really? Yeah. Now, do they state that? They Do they state that's what they want you to do? I believe so. Known? No, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think they tell you don't take the, don't take the spine and don't take the, don't take the brain. I think that's for that chronic wasting disease. Right. Yeah, so they don't right. want those deer carcasses off of that that area. So this is a this is a great segue. This isn't again on the outline, but we had talked about it. Kansas is in the process of t- attempting to outlaw 
deer baiting with deer and i'm not a deer hunter i've never been on on a deer hunt so i i like i've been hearing it a little bit um get tell me what you know about it and the reasons they want to ban it and whether you're for or against baiting bans for deer uh Again, this is another thing that they're proposing that I don't think would have the effect that they want to have. You know, I wish these guys would publish more data when they propose these bans. Uh, so you could actually come up with, yeah, this might be good or that's not good. But they are presenting data at the meetings, aren't they? I don't think they're presenting enough. So mm-hmm. so what I understand is this blue tongue is a big deal right now. It's a disease they get right and they first told us that was from, I believe that was the algae disease in the water. But now they're saying that when you have the feeder out or the pile of corn, that the deer are, changed, are sharing saliva and then transferring this blue tongue. So not only do they want to ban the, the bait during season, I think it's no baiting for the entire year and it's no mineral. So no salt blocks, no. Hmm. So I would need to know I watch deer all the time. I see deer every day around my house. And if you've got a field, whether it's beans or corn, but a lot of beans, if there's a little point in that field, every one of the deer are going to come off that point and they're going to eat the first six rows of beans. Mm-hmm. I, they're going to trade spit just the same. Like I don't think you can stop a deer from, from deer eat where deer eat. I don't think it matters if people put it out or if a farmer is growing it. So... If you're an outfitter and you can no longer bait, now you're going to farm. And you're going to have the same deer sharing the same feed. You're just putting it there in a different way. So, hmm. so like I said, I would need some more data on this to say this would actually do something. Because I don't, I don't see it stopping. But, and maybe it is. I'm not well-versed on deer. I'm, I'm not a deer hunter. I've shot a lot of deer, but I'm not well-versed on it. But... Just from the behaviors I've seen, it looks like they're trading one thing for something that's the same, but just in a different way. So is there fear? Because I have not heard that we're having any kind of population decline. Oh, there's deer. deer. No, there's, we're. So is there, are they trying to prevent a population I don't decline? know. Because if we're not having a population drop, then what's the issue? That's my, that's my other thing. I, what's the, the problem with the deer? Um, the last two years. I tell you, I believe my shop is around unit 10, 11, and 19. 19's a new unit. They kind of made a mess this year. They made a unit without telling anybody. Um, the last two years, the amount of deer that have repopulated is insane. I mean, it's we have you couldn't have more deer right now. We have so many deer. I have farmers asking me if I hunt deer when I ask them if I waterfowl hunt because they can't because they're tearing they crops want them up killed. so bad. Yeah. So. So what's the, what, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. Is well, what that's what I say. Are we stopping outfitting? Mm-hmm. Is that the point of this? Because that would that would significantly change outfitting. It would make it way harder on them, wouldn't it? Yeah, because the the feeder is a way to control the nocturnal issue, right? So, like in my backyard, I have a dozen deer in my backyard every night, but you'll never see them in the daytime, or it's rare, right? But if I would start feeding those deer, I could get those deer where I could actually hunt my backyard. Okay. Yeah, because I can. They'll, they'll learn when that feeder goes off. The other thing mm-hmm. I would like to know, 
and I, like I said, I'm not a biologist in any form. I don't even have a high school diploma. If you feed a deer protein and they get all the protein they want, corn would be a carb, so it's not really a health, right? You're not going to make a deer healthy with corn. But mm-hmm. most of those guys have some kind of protein in that feed. I would think its immune system would be better at handling whatever disease would come along. If it has all, because like if you want a good cattle herd, they need to be nutrient heavy. I mean, that stops, that that's as valuable as, as antibiotics to cattle. It's just having a healthy herd of cows. So I would assume that the deer that are well-fed are healthier deer. Like I said, I would need some data that would tell me, no, yeah, no, we're not really doing anything for them because usually when you start feeding deer, you get pretty big antlers. You don't get big antlers without them without them being well fed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. Like I said, I just don't, always... don't see enough data. I don't. I, I I have no idea on the issue, and I don't even have an opinion as to whether they should allow it or not, just because I'm so uninformed. But on the personal side, if I was going to hunt deer, I wouldn't want a feeder involved. It seems a little bit canned to me when you start adding, I know I've caught fish before around fish feeders and it just didn't quite feel as satisfying, <laughs> you know? So I'm, just- I'm with you. If, if I was going to be a deer hunter, I would bow hunt. Um, mm-hmm. that was, I, I've shot a lot of deer with a rifle. I don't personally get anything out of it. I see why guys like it, but to me, it's not a hard sport. Now I've never shot antlers. So that's different. Cause then you're hunting the antler more than you're, the antler sure. with a rifle is, to me, more of hunting the act of finding the antler than it is deer with the antler yeah. than it is the hunting the deer with the antler, right? Because yeah. you know at 100 or 200 yards, it's dead. Rifles are amazing. But mm-hmm. so I would bow hunt, and I would probably bow hunt in a natural setting without the feeder. That would probably be my thing. Yeah, the whole game of it. I know my dad shot a massive mule deer in western Kansas. 20 years ago and he just knew a guy that said hey you want to come out here and do it and they drove out with the pickup truck saw this massive deer he got out of the truck killed it over you know and he was just like you know it was a wonderful deer but it just didn't it just didn't do it yeah it just doesn't do anything for me i so i don't uh now at the same time have you ever eaten elk um i don't believe so elk is amazing i would go Mm -hmm. out if i had elk in my backyard i would shoot elk every year it's huge. It's, it's like getting the meat off of a, a side of beef. It's like getting a beef, and it's amazing. Yeah. It's like that, I would, but I would do it for meat. Um, there's but, a lot of guys that it's only deer hunt for meat, and there's I, I have I almost respect those guys more than trophy guys over feeders. Um, you know, they just want to provide food for their family. Yeah, like I don't have anything against the guy shooting a deer over a feeder. I I could care less. Right. Uh, but right. I think on the deer hunting thing, I think the outfitting is probably very valuable. It's harder to find a place to deer hunt than duck hunt. A lot of the farmers, they like deer. You're shooting a rifle around their livestock in their house. So to me, the outfitting for deer, it's a little more controlled. You don't have the orange army marching through the woods shooting at each other. So Mm -hmm. I I think it's probably a pretty valuable uh, Kansas asset. So I don't Mm -hmm. know if I would discourage guiding for deer in the state but like i said you're just going to have them trade feeders for for crop Mm -hmm. yeah so you you would essentially be eliminating the smaller outfitter that wouldn't have the money to lease and farm 
is what you'd essentially be eliminating. In that case. I don't know. I don't know if it's fair to eliminate that guy. I don't know if that guy's doing anything particularly wrong. But, you know, I think outfitting for waterfowl in Kansas needs regulated, so Kansas whitetail hunters Absolutely. may feel the same way, right? And it's just not my thing, yeah. so it's not as concerning to me. Well, this commission meeting coming up in August is going to be huge because they're going to be voting on the deer baiting, which has gotten more press than the waterfowl issues, but they're also going to be voting on the non-resident regulations. So I will definitely be tuned in Where to is that, that commission meeting. meeting. Um, you know, I don't know. Is it Western Kansas it or is it? I have not heard at all where it is. The last one is middle. The one before that was Eastern. So, you know, I, I had a, heard. I had a buddy call and he asked about this, uh, this waterfowl regulations. I don't know what guy can, he called, he called somebody KDWP and the guy basically told him it's more legislative. It's more of a legislative issue than a KDWP issue. How so? I don't know. That's just what he, he said. He's like, they're pushing this more. Kansas legislation is pushing more for this than KDWP is. Huh. Yeah. I, that's the first I've heard anything like yeah. that. He, he said he called. He had a long talk with the guy. The guy was super nice, really knowledgeable. Talked to him about it. Because he was of the same opinion really... I am of. He's like, I don't think this will help. I think this will actually hurt mm. in the long run. Yeah. I, I saw a um, Delta had put out a survey about it that I filled out. Someone sent it to me. It was like, are you resident, non-resident? What are your feelings on it? I don't know what they're going to do or what they are doing. I need to get John Debney on because he's chief policy officer for Delta and a awesome guy. I need to, I need to at least talk to him off air or whatever and just get what his, cause he was in favor of the thing in Manitoba. He and I had a long conversation off air about the stuff in Manitoba and he was all in favor of that. I listened to, uh, do you know Ramsey Russell? Mm -hmm. uh, he had a podcast on with some outfitter that's from Manitoba and it sounded like they were maybe some of the outfitters that brought this up and they just, they're, they just said their hunting is declining and needs stopped. Right. Yeah. They're trying to preserve what they have left. They're limiting the, they're put a hard limit on the number of outfitters up there. That's what Devney really liked about it. Yeah. You, you've always had to buy the blocks up in Canada to, to outfit. Um, mm. now I don't know the, I don't know anything about that. I just don't, I've got a buddy. He was on the podcast TC. They they bought a lodge and it came with a certain block and that's what they can guide on. They can't go off that. Right. So I think the locals have to do the same thing. I don't think that's just for uh, out of out of country outfits. I think that's how they do the the commercial up there. But and uh, you know they obviously are concerned because that's not helping their outfitting business. They they obviously can't get more more customers if they limit how many can hunt. So I would assume they're trying to do it for the good of, of the birds. Um, again, I always yep. worry about what are the unintended side effects of that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to contact him today and see what his thoughts are. Cause he was definitely pro that, um, which I, that's, that's gotten a lot of uh, most people I've talked to were feel like that that was what they're doing in Manitoba was not a good thing, but I, he was know, for it and I trust his opinion. You always have to side with the residents of the state on their hunting. So that's that's a given, right? Like, it's always whatever is better for who lives there than the out-of-town guys. Yeah. But 
like I said, I think you're just going to trade one one bad situation for another bad situation on this. So I don't see it helping the residents in the long term. I definitely agree with raising the price of the out-of-state tags. Um, and I think yeah. my, I would think at a minimum you could raise those enough to see where they quit coming. And then well, if the, you need, they're capped in Kansas at one twenty-five. That is that what it is? The legislators put on. Mm-hmm. Why do they have a cap on out-of-state tags? No idea. Okay, I didn't know that, but yeah, but I would think at a minimum you could you could find the point at which it knocked down the non-residents, and then if you wanted more in the future, you could take it down. Yeah, yeah, um, but we're at a minimum. I don't know why they're not drawing for a week or two's worth of hunting in the state. Yeah, <sighs> it'll be interesting to see what. Well, well we know what's going to happen. Yeah, oh, they're going to do see it. the effect yeah. of it. Oh no, yeah. they're going to do it. I don't think they've had enough. in both in both both commission meetings they've talked about. There has not been a single dissenting voice, whether it's from public or commissioners or otherwise. Not a single person has stood up and and, and said I'm against this because ABC. I think this is different than we went to the meetings when we were pushing for the late seasons. Um, mm-hmm. I just I don't know how many Kansas residents are going to say yeah. Uh, Let's let the out-of-staters have free reign. Let's keep it the way it is. So I don't think they're going to get much opposition. But again, I'd like to know yeah. how it's going to be enforced. Where's the resource to enforce this? It's not. It's I not. I don't think there's a resource to enforce it. I think you're you're just stretching our wardens out thinner, and they're already thin enough. I mean, man, most of our counties are one warden to two two counties. Yeah. Yeah. Now I will say that Jason Wagner out at the bottoms. Because I mean, it would be very, very difficult to enforce no wake out there. Oh yeah. But he said that he knows people were following that because he was getting—I can't remember the number—like one a day where guys were running up on banks and yep. getting, getting their boats up. And he said those pretty much just went away. Right. He, he didn't hardly have any more people that were running, getting, getting up on plane, running their boat up onto dry ground, and having to call him for it. So even without policing. That was actually being followed. The no wake, no wake law was being followed. The so the thing point. that Kansas residents wouldn't like, and I'm counting myself in this, but probably would have the most significant impact on their hunting would be to stop the hunting after certain times on the public ground. Hmm. Yeah, Missouri, the, the pools that stop at 1 or 2 o'clock have a lot of ducks in them. It keeps the hunting pretty good but i've been told that the ducks just it's just like when they get nocturnal if you close it at one the ducks show up at 101 yes but you also have weather so if it's sunny you'll have one o'clock if it's cloudy right. they'll right their time is yeah. off but there are yeah. ducks in the pools every day and it stops the boat traffic which is in my opinion the pressure it's not the hunting it's the boating uh, you may be right, but I do not I know. want that to take place. Now, there maybe there's a balance on that. Maybe you can do it, you know, one one week here, you know, one week here each month. They just it needs probably needs a little rest. But again, that's a data thing. Like, how much data can we collect to know if this would help? So, and that's overcomplicating it for hunters. Like, oh, I can't hunt this, it does. this day. You know, well, over- I gotta quit at one. But I know I'm petrified of the one o'clock rule. I just, I love about Kansas that we are just free to kind of go and do it and chase it. And the more regulations, man, 
I well, mean, see, that one o'clock thing I would hate. The lot, the lottery is the ultimate nightmare. Drawing for pills. Yeah, you can't do the lottery nightmare. in Kansas. There's not enough wardens to do lottery. There's just not enough resource. They could make it. They could flip that thing digital pretty easily. Yeah, it's it's just not enough resource. Um, well, I hope you. I hope you're right. So I don't think be, they could do I, that. I don't know if that would be nightmare. Nightmare scenario is now get there and draw. Missouri is still free reign, even though they have more regs in the marshes. Because they don't mess with your reservoirs. They don't mess with the walk-in areas, and they don't mess with the river. Mm-hmm. So there is a balance. Over and there, there are marshes that are free reign, too. They're not yes. all. No, they're not all, right? Yeah. Right. So there, there is there is still free reign. So, I should probably start getting into into Missouri more. They changed their video. So they used to have to pay like 500 a day to run video in Missouri for the yeah. last couple of years. And they're, they've backed off that. Right. Um, I need to, because I'm within an hour and a half of some pretty good places. I mean, I'm in yep, the far northeast corner. So yeah. Well, I probably need to get busy and get into there. Like one, one thing on this Kansas proposed rule that I don't like. One, I don't, I don't think you can do this on a federal marsh. I have a real problem with that. Mm-hmm. The the duck stamp buys your way into the federal marsh, right? So I don't want to mess with that duck stamp program in any way. I think if you give them your twenty five bucks, you should be able to go hunt that federal marsh. They let the bird hunters, yeah. in, the bird watchers, in for free, which I think is BS. I think yes. you should have to have that that stamp to use that in any way, shape, or form. So yeah, I don't like it that a guy can buy a stamp and then couldn't utilize that area but the bird watcher can i think that's bs i don't care where mm-hmm. he's from uh and two i don't think they should allow it on the reservoirs reservoirs mm-hmm. to me are free reign nobody's managing right. the reservoir nobody is that you should be able to hunt the reservoir whenever you want to me that's like the the freedom in all states are the lakes right yeah and you're not i, I don't disagree with that on the on the other hand on the flip side of it if they're going to pass this and if it's going to be effective for what they're trying to do, I feel like you need all three. You need the federal, the reservoir and the, in order for it to, to do what they want it to do, you need those, you need them all. But I just, I don't know. I have a problem. That's what I've always loved. That's why I always preferred the reservoirs over the marsh. I didn't have, it's bigger. You can do what you want. Uh, you're yeah. not typically hunting by anybody. Um, right. It takes more equipment, so you typically have more serious. If, if you've got a guy with a twenty thousand dollars boat, we're pretty serious at this most of the time. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I've I've got a problem with like I totally understand limiting Cheyenne bottoms. Like I get that. Mm-hmm. Like that's a marsh. It's it's extensive to manage. Everybody knows about it. I don't know how many magazine articles exist about that place. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, no, this is not a secret. So like that, I get managing that. And that pretty much controls the bird population for that entire area. Yeah. So like that, I get. But man, limiting a guy to go out and hunt in Hillsdale Reservoir, that seems stupid to me. I agree. Yeah, you're not changing the amount of birds in Kansas, no matter how much Hillsdale's hunting. Now, I know there's somebody out there that hunts Hillsdale every day going, this guy, I hate this guy right now. But it's you're not getting all the birds off that lake. If there's birds on it or it's an interesting, it's an interesting lake to tackle. I used to, I used to, I lived, I used to try to hunt it a lot and I didn't know how to be successful out there. And I just felt like it was just worthless, but it's not, but it's just difficult. 
it's just but it it's not an easy lake to reservoir hunting is just different than marsh hunting so like yeah. to me if i would rank order things on public ground the marsh is the easiest to hunt and then mm-hmm. the the next hardest is the reservoirs and then the next mm-hmm. hardest is the big rivers like you need right. more skill each time you go to one of those yeah to me mm-hmm. yeah reservoirs are hard you have to my my issue on reservoirs is that even with a lot of birds i struggle to get them to notice me and when they do they just want a short stop so much so i i see lots of birds but i just struggle to to get them to do anything so reservoirs reservoirs are hunted away from the bank um you can kill some off that is but reservoirs, not an easy task to get off of the bank. That's right. So reservoirs. reservoirs are hunted away from the bank. Birds are killed on flats. Yeah, that's that's a reservoir. So a lot of times, the problem, you, then you get the flats and you can't even get your boat into them because it's so shallow. And then depends on the flat. A, mud a, flat and, a flat can be fifteen foot deep just as easily as one foot deep. Oh, oh yeah. Um, this is new information <laughs> for me now. Yeah. So you need the you need Most the topographical the... lake maps. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. I, so... That is totally new information to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Give where you more. start. That's where you start <laughs> hunting a refuge is with the topo map. Okay, so when they're sitting on open water, they're not sitting. They're, they're not sitting where it's deep. They're sitting on flat. Why? Which is what they do. I don't know why, but it's just what they do. Yeah. Like I can tell you every time you go to a reservoir and you're seeing the big raft of birds, they're on flat. Huh. I had no idea that was the case. So, so then what, so if it's, if it's a 15 foot flat, how, how do you deal with those birds? You have 25 foot decoys drinks. But, but how are you, how are you getting your hide done? If you're not on a bank, that's in a boat in a blind. So Just you gotta on, think that the the boat hides you. You don't hide the boat. So like you I grew, sit in a, on an open water. Oh, you know, a couple trees. You're pretty good. You don't need much. But but you can't. But if there's no trees, there's usually trees. Usually all our cans reservoirs have trees. You're just you're dead. You're just you're just dead. You're just up against a dead tree. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. There's this one place. I I don't mind sharing the place with you off air, but um where. Bumps right up against a refuge and there are a few of those dead trees. And I've been, I've been debating about trying to tie the boat blind up to one of those dead trees. And I've just never had faith enough to do it. Um, one, but one, it's the flight line and it's right off the refuge. Yeah. One, one dead tree will hide the crowd, the crowd out of you, especially if it's got a nice fork and you put the bow of the boat in. Right. Yeah. Nope. The boat yeah, hides you. Like you don't, I'm going to be, you don't hide the boat. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's hard. We have, it's we hard. have tried shorelines, and that's a, that's a, even we boat to the shorelines and try to do big spreads, but it's still yeah, once, once doesn't, you, not very effective. Now, once you get by the shore, that's where danger is, and it's not as good. Yeah, the, the middle of the lake right. is your friend. Yeah. You're writing, writing these notes down. But so <laughs> reservoirs to me are always, they're the most underutilized thing in the whole state. They're hard. They're, they're the hardest thing to hunt. Yeah. And they're hard because, like I said, if you're out where you can't wait, everything's put out by the boat, picked up by the boat, the duck decoys, the, mm-hmm. the ducks, the whole deal. So it's a lot harder hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Right at the last weekend last year, 
we we a buddy of mine did a lot of calling to finally get an answer that this one section of lake was legal to hunt off the shore but it shows as which is the case i know of other reservoirs that's the case where as long as you're off the shore you can hunt it but people don't really understand that and even these these core guys struggle to even be able to answer these questions you gotta because like well we don't really want you to but we can't anyway so we try we just tried there was so many ducks on on this big open part of the lake and we didn't, there was no trees at all. So we we're just like, well, we have nothing else to do. These are the only birds we can find. And so in the dark before the hunt, we retied all of the decoys down to 25 feet. And we just flat sat out in the boat blind with nothing else. Cause we're like, this is the only game we've got. We cannot figure out anything else to try. We're trying this. And these birds, I don't even know if it would have, I didn't feel like it would work, but they just never flew. They just sat and they just, they were happy. They were a half a mile away where it was just too deep for us to even mess with us and over kind of by a marine area we didn't want any part of. And they just would not move. They would, but we tried it. That's, <laughs> and it was kind of fun to try. That's one of the only things that mess up a refuge is once you ice up the birds, because a lot of times they're going to go sit on a north bank on a point. Yeah. And because it's where it freezes last. And sometimes they'll get patterned yeah. on that and then they don't leave that. Yeah. And that can be deep south. And, yeah. Right. Yep. But that was basically the situation. It's amazing how close the duck will get to a 20 foot duck boat that's covered well with no cover around it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that gives me a little more courage to try some of that. I need to, I need to rebrush. I, I don't like boat blinds in general, but I, we got this one cause my dad's 80 now and I want him to keep going. So it's, it's not, and there's no natural stuff on it. So it's, we use it during teal season and stuff, but we just don't really mallard hunt out of it. And I haven't, it's, it's hard to brush those big blinds. And I just didn't want to put the effort into it for a few teal hunts. So on the Missouri side, all of the refuge or the reservoirs over there have, they're overrun with Lespedesia. With what? Lespedesia. What's that? Uh, it's a, it's a plant. Um, they used to use it for erosion control before K31 fescue came out. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say the word wrong. Ceresva lespedesia. But it's a it's kind of a stemmy, woody, bushy plant. It's green in the summer, mm -hmm. then it turns brown. In Kansas, mm -hmm. it's considered a noxious weed. So on the Missouri okay. side, everybody covers boat blinds and lespedesia. You go 100 miles huh. an hour down the highway with that stuff, and it'll never come off. You maybe need to drop me some pens as to where I can find some of that. <laughs> if you go around Truman Reservoir, it's down every road, and you can cut all you want. Yeah. I'm interested in that reservoir. I've, I've cyber scouted it, but I've never. I grew up on that one. Yeah, I know. I know. I've seen, you have some videos from there too. I'm pretty sure that I watch. Um, all right, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, the last podcast I listened to yours and is talking about the tips and you were talking about hiding and the importance of hiding. And you made a phrase, you said how to hide inside the blind. I want you to, but you didn't really expand deeply on that. Can you flesh that out? If someone hears that and they have no idea what that means, how do you hide well inside the blind? So there's, there's an art to hiding in an A-frame, physically hiding inside of the A-frame. There's an art to hiding inside of a layout blind. So if you're not calling, then you should just be, like in a layout blind, you should just be under the face shield. So... Mm -hmm. If, if you, in my opinion, if you can tell somebody is laying in the layout blind, they're laying in the layout blind improperly. If I can mm -hmm. see you, the ducks can see you, right? Right. 
So you, you kind of have to learn how to peak at the right times when you're calling, uh, mm-hmm. what you can get away with. So there's an art to still not scaring a bird inside of a blind. Same thing with an A-frame. Even if it's covered really well, you can't, you can't poke your face through those blinds to watch birds. So mm-hmm. you, you've got to be able to figure out how to peek out of the blind and see what you need to see and then not be seen. So there's an art to, to doing that. And you usually know when you peek at a bird and then that bird sees you, you know you busted that bird. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, there's an art to hiding inside of the hide. So with a layout, this is a struggle that we've had to learn. And I'm still, I love to see the birds. So I know I still make mistakes with wanting to see the birds. But with our layout boat hunting, we find it took us a, quite a while to learn this. We were using those old grass mats. Um, they, they get all nasty and decay if they get wet, you know, the ones I'm talking about. And we went away from those and we got green fencing and we tied raffia to it. But the problem with that, we were using them like blankets, we they would be all rolled up and tied and we'd paddle in and then we'd unroll them. And and but the, the problem with that was getting your gun out from underneath that was really really difficult with compared if you have the doors it's way easy because you just sit up but we had those mats so inevitably you start the hunt with kind of having it up to up to your neck and we had face masks on and stuff but then you're just like i can't pull up and kill you try to pull up and there's crap on your gun or it gets hooked up or something and so we started going where it's just like arms out and mat up under your armpits and it became very very clear quickly that that is not sufficient you cannot have your arms your gun half of your you just can't do it so we had to switch so we had to move away from that and that's when we got the um, northern flight blinds which is really they're really great layout boat blinds because they've got the little mesh over the face but it's still so difficult to not be a little sloppy on that you want to see the birds and it's oh it's really difficult to be it layout, layout boats are amazing because you can hunt inside of the decoys with them and they'll almost land on the boats. But that is the crux of the layout boat is trying to keep hidden in them. So like, I have never found two layout boats is about what you can get away with most of the time. Sometimes three. If you get four or five layout boats out there, you're not hiding anymore. They see people too much. One layout boat is absolutely amazing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yes. yeah, one layout boat is how you kill birds out of the layout boat, which was the original design, yeah. right? Um, it's not, they're not really made to hunt a bunch of people with. They're more, in my opinion, they're a solo man's game. Mm. Yeah. Like, even in the marshes, I would rather have a 16-foot boat with a hard side blind. I would have more confidence in hiding in there. Oh, man, not me. Yeah, if I was hunting two or three people, I'd hide that all day over layout boats. Hunting solo, I'd take a layout boat all day. Well, I think part, part of it depends on what you have with you. Like some, we were hunting a place out in western Kansas that had a lot of tumbleweeds. Mm-hmm. Tumbleweeds are the oh, no. best. That's... And so we actually had four layout boats out. This is yeah. when we switched from the mats to yep. the northern flight stuff. And we had we actually had four guys hiding out, and we spent a ridiculous amount of time on the hide with tumbleweeds. Yep. And now we didn't completely finish them, which we're going to talk about what you 
consider fin. I was going to use the word finishing, but then where I'm going to ask you what you think finishing, I'm like, oh, hold on. I don't want to be, I don't want to exaggerate. But we had a group of about 20 pintails do everything but finish. And that was the day I was like, okay, finally, finally, we have fully figured out how to hide these damn things. Tumbleweed and Lespedesia is very similar. Okay. Yeah, same type of bushy. Tumbleweeds are kind of round and Lespedesia is more straight, but similar, similar. Right. Yeah. You can't beat that. Yeah, tumbleweeds are amazing. That's what those guys, like if you're up in Nebraska, the Dakotas, that's what they hide boat blinds with most times, tumbleweed. Those guys up there know how to brush big boats. Yep. The same. You'll thing see on, someone pulling it in a trailer and not even know it's a boat. <laughs> yeah, that's that's same thing as a Truman Lake boat blind. Same deal. Yeah, yeah. I, I just need to be able to have more opportunities to use the boat for me to put that kind of effort into so, it. So if I'm maybe going to use it once or twice a year, oh no, it's a lot I of work. Just, I'm not you'll that spend an easy full day covering that boat. Easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when I was hunting out of layouts, I was always in Tom's Four Rivers boats. Uh-huh. I liked the big doors versus the small doors. I didn't think the small doors hit as well. So I would always take his doors and I would weld because, you know, they they come open. So they're they're the design like a layout blind door uh-huh. and then there's nothing yeah. that connects. So I would weld another bar into them and then I would uh-huh. cover those with that green fencing and I would make a face shield. OK, that's that's how I would do it. Yeah. And then I right. always just put I would put natural grass on them and then usually I was hunting someplace with smart weed. So I had a little rake with me with a rope mm-hmm. and I would drag smart weed up and then put it on everything. And you sit there and get dripped yeah. on all day. Yeah. What, well, what we got to doing was I'll take raffia and I'll brush about 50% of it with raffia mm-hmm. and then just figure the rest of the 50% that happens the day of in yep. the marsh. Yeah. You, if you're really hunting out, cause that raffia flattens out it, yep. after a few hunts, that raffia doesn't look the same. Nope. No, and it, it kind of dulls, and it's not puffy, and it, yeah. But no, yeah. you're hunting that layout It kind of becomes 2D. Yeah, you're, you're covering the boat every day. That's part of the layout boat. Part, but, part of the deal. But they're amazing. There's an, intimacy, there's an intimacy with a layout boat in a marsh that you can't get with like an A-frame because you're in it. You're a part of it. You're like absorbed by the marsh. Layout boats are very similar to how layout blinds were when they first came out. Hmm. Because you could hunt everything. You could be right in the middle of the field, and you could be inside the spread on everything because they weren't used to them. So it's it's mm-hmm. still very similar to that because I don't think they see that many layout boats still. So they're not used to Right. You know, anytime, I mean, anybody, if you're new at this, can take this. Anytime you get away from the bank, you, you have an advantage. Agreed. Like the most heavily pressured marsh, the middle of it is going to be one of the sweet spots. I've got this one pool that that rule's not true, and I cannot convince myself it's not true. It's these <sighs> birds always go to the bank, and I refuse to hunt it. One year, I had a buddy that started hunting with me, and he wanted to hunt that, and we killed limits like five or six days in a row on that bank. And I still, I just cannot stand doing it. And this year, we were out in the middle, and we were watching guys. Yeah, pound bir- there's something about this one pool. There's exceptions to that everything, right? Just, but I just, I keep telling myself, okay, this year. You're just going to hunt that spot, and I inevitably want to be out in the middle. Yeah. It's the safe bet. It's like when you look at a pond, the safe bet's always the point. Yeah. It's just so much harder to hide once you get off the bank. It's so much harder to hide. Well, it depends on the marsh, right? If it's it's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
but they, they learn trees on the side of a marsh are just so wonderful. That's you can just kind of sit under them and lay up against them and it's comfortable. And it can be pretty deadly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But so no, uh, you know, I would say this too. I'm not, I don't do anything with tangle free, but when you look at layout blinds, you need to find the one where the mesh works because they don't all function. Uh, a lot of times that mesh will close and you get the big gap. The mesh has to overlap and it has to go over the back of your head. It seems to be, it's probably the most, one of the most critical parts of the damn blind. And it's where they pay attention to the least amount because there's mm. mesh there and it's good. And you'll see a lot of guys, if you watch videos, everybody. And you're just talking your face and head covering, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody will have their, you can see their baseball hat outside of the top of that blind. Um, so do you think camo face masks, even with a camo face mask, you think that there's, you absolutely have to have mesh over. I want everybody under like that. your face. Mask? I want everybody under that blind. Yeah. As my buddy Albeck would say, quit NASCARing my geese. <laughs> what, the, what do you mean by that? You know, watching the NASCAR race. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. As they spin. Yeah. God, so. I do not want you to be right about what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> So no, so like uh, one of the one of the better blinds on the market right now. Uh, I don't know what it's it's the the more expensive tangle free blind, perfectly designed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the mesh on it is perfect. The blind's comfortable, but it's one of the best ones that I I think there is out right now because they cover you so well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But and then it's a difference to shooting birds at twenty and at forty, right? Yeah, uh, it's a big difference on that. Uh, yeah. A frame wise. I don't like the lids on any of them. I think they get in the way. Like I haven't seen a lid design yet. That's good, but mm -hmm. I pretty much put more grass on the A-frame every day. So I'm really picky on what grass I cut. I hate, um, prairie grass. Uh, I, I like cord grass. It's the softer mm -hmm. grass. It's wispy and it falls over. It grows where it's wet, but mm -hmm. I put, I pretty much freshen up the top of the blind every day because that grass has to touch at the top. If it's open, you're not really hiding anything. Right. Yeah. So I will go cut. No, I don't know. Before we hunt, after everything's covered, I will go cut six, eight, ten truck bed fulls, and then I tie them in big bundles, and then I grab a couple bundles every day we go out. To See, I need a hiding. I need I need a dedicated hiding specialist because if I'm being honest, I know all these things are true. I hate brushing work, and I get inevitably I will start to do it. I'll get sloppy, and then throughout the hunt, it's like, okay, I didn't do enough. Let's go find more, and then it's like you missing these groups early. And by I just uh, it's annoying. Yeah, no, hiding is one of the the biggest parts of doing this. In my opinion. Yeah. But, You're right. Yeah. So, no, I keep, like I said, I keep a absolute pile of grass. So, and it's pretty easy. You know, you tie it together. I just use paracord and you just tie it together. Big bundle like that will go. Yeah. It'll go about across the front of one A-frame. Yeah. And then I grab one, throw it in the truck every morning or two, depending on how bad the cover is getting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have plenty of time today. You doing yeah. okay? Yeah, I'm good. 
All right. Well, I'm going to make this the end of episode one. We're going to do this again where Bobby and I start hanging out and we just can't stop talking. So we're at about an hour and a half. So we're going to shut down this episode. Um, and then um, the next episode you guys listen to is going to be part two of Bobby. So Bobby, shout out real quick where everyone can find you and your calls and all that stuff. Uh, you can find me at DuckLanderCalls.com. And then I think later this month we will have DuckLanderTribe.com up and out and that is going to be our hosted version of an educational platform so when that releases i'll post on instagram and social all the different platforms but that'll be educational based so all the calling instruction uh, how to hunt videos 60 second tips all that good stuff will be on my website so basically i'm kind of letting people know if they want to get away from the algorithm and interact with us that's that's where you'll go do it Cool. Well, thank you so much. And hang on, and we will start that second episode just to, just in a second. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure and check out the Facebook group, the North American Waterfowler Podcast. Until next time, this is Elliot. You listen to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. Bye.